0: Hello, and welcome to Worst Best Sellers, where we read about PTA mums gone wild so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read Big Little Lies by Leanne Moriarty. Joining us to discuss this prestige television inspiration is writer and co-host of the Truer Words podcast, Melissa. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it's a delight to have you here, and and a delight to have read this book. I must say, Seriously? I really liked it. Um, I didn't really know what like all I knew about this early was that there's a character named Renata in it because uh, somebody I knew took a like which Big Little Lies character quiz are you and got Renata, and I was like, wait a minute, what? Um, because as as you may be able to guess, there are not very many fictional characters named Renata, so I get excited. Whenever there are any Uh, So I knew that I knew there was a TV show or HBO series Based on it but I have never seen it And yeah This was just like better than I was Anticipating
1: how about you guys Yeah I really I mean at first I thought we're, I'm reading another podcast book simultaneously, and I hate it. And I was like, maybe this just seems good in comparison. Like, I am truly afraid sometimes that we're broken inside, <laughs> and we think that actual bad things are good because we've read Dianetics.
0: I know. Um, I'm always sort of relieved when I actually like dislike other things. I'm like, no, like I do still have taste. Yes. <laughs>
1: So I was kind of afraid at first that it was that, but it, it was so genuinely engaging. And I was like, I can definitely I feel like feel a difference between when I'm reading a book for this podcast and I'm like, well, you know, this this could be worse yeah. or when I'm reading something that I do genuinely find engaging um, and I did genuinely find this engaging and want it to I was trying to use it as like a carrot on a stick to get through the other book that I'm reading for mm-hmm. the podcast but it reached a point where I was like no I just want to keep listening to this I'm not going to stop
0: no and like so I'm a librarian and people I was like oh that's cool you just get to like read a work all day and like no I don't have other stuff to do <laughs> but I legit read this on the reference desk for a few hours because I could not like I'd read it at lunch and I was like no I can't stop I have to know i cannot put this down i was so into it yeah i i watched the show and so
2: i was spoiled going in but i really Mm -hmm. liked the show and i think i told you guys i spent a lot of time trying to look at the foreshadowing and how she did it to um figure out how the murder was seated and then it took but because i was so invested in that i completely forgot about who the killer was, uh-huh. so I, it was still, like, genuinely satisfying to me when I got to the end. Excellent.
0: Yeah, I I feel like the characterization is so good, and, like, yeah, I, th- I think even if you had known the twist, I mean, as you did, I think even knowing the twist, like, there's still just a lot to hang your hat on here, mm-hmm. without it just being, like, oh, you know, I don't know, like, Sixth Sense or something, where it's like, oh, I already know that he's a ghost, so, like, whatever, like,
1: mm-hmm Yeah, there's a lot of... The character dynamics are very interesting. And I I will say this, when I first started it, the way that the book starts is it's an outside POV, a character who we never talk to again, does a brief scene, and then it falls to this like transcript of various PTA moms talking, and they are so insufferable. That after the first five minutes, I was like, what have I gotten myself into? This book is 15 hours long. I hate myself. (laughs) But once the actual narrators picked up, starting in the next chapter, I was immediately, like, completely charmed and pulled in. And it just was, the characters were just very good. And even the characters who you spend the entire novel being angry at have good reasons for doing the things they're doing for the most part the main characters i should say who do that and mm-hmm. like right. by not the perry end, fuck perry yeah not him yeah and like no. i'm thinking specifically of renata who i was so mad at the entire time because she was <laughs> making this poor child's life miserable without any proof and by the end you're like Oh god, this poor woman. And even then you're you're knowing as you go along like, well she's just doing it to protect her kid. Yeah. Right.
2: And it, you know, she's not wrong to be upset that her daughter was hurt. Her daughter was legitimately hurt. It's just not the right kid. Yes. You know? yes
0: so like kate mentioned this book is told and i I think this is done overall like so it's so clever the structure of it it's interspersed with these inner these transcripts of interviews with people from all around the school and all around the community and they're talking around an incident like a shocking dramatic incident and it it as it goes on, we get just bits and pieces, and eventually it's
1: like, oh well, it was at the school trivia night. Oh, it was a murder. Oh, well, I don't even think we hear murder first. We just hear that somebody died. Oh right, yeah, mm-hmm. but
0: like, yeah, but, like, it, it, but at first I don't think we even hear like died. I think it was just like, oh, it was awful. Like what happened? It's just like escalating, escalating. You're like, oh my god, what even happened? Uh, I loved it.
1: Yes, and then after that, we flash back to. Several months before the trivia night, and it is the orientation day for the kindergarten at Piriwi Public School. And we meet our first main character, Madeline, who is on her way to bring her daughter, Chloe, to the school. And Madeline has uh, two older children, one who is a teenager from her first marriage and one who's a couple years older than Chloe. So she's familiar with the school. She's familiar with the school politics. Like, she's done this whole rodeo before. And it's also her 40th birthday, so she is dressed very fancy. And in front of her at a stoplight are a bunch of teenagers who are talking on their cell phone a teenage driver who's talking on her cell phone instead of paying attention so she decides that she is going to get out of the car and tell this girl that she is going to get herself and her friends killed if she does not put that phone down and on her like satisfied walk back to her car afterwards uh, she is wearing stiletto sandals and she twists her ankle rolls and she twists her ankle and collapses into the street (laughs) And in the car behind her is Jane, who is the mother of Ziggy, and they are just moving to Piroui Beach for mysterious circumstances. And it is also Ziggy's kindergarten orientation. And she gets out of her car and helps Madeline um, and then takes both the kids to orientation. And then Madeline insists that she come that uh, Jane come with her to the local cafe, Blue Blues. Blues Blue? Or, no, Blue Blues. Beach Blues. No. I think it's Blue Blues. Okay. So Blue Blues, to have like a coffee and a cupcake, because it's her birthday, and she insists, and Jane saved her life. And they are soon joined by another friend of Madeline's, who's another kindergarten mother named Celeste, who has two twin boys, and it is also her first time in the school. So Madeline is like, let me give you just the lowdown of what the social structure is, who all the PTA moms are, like where you'll fall in the pecking order, what the school is like. And essentially, like, holds court and they have champagne because it's Madeline's um, birthday. It's her birthday. Madeline's birthday.
0: And it was the champagne was Celeste's gift to Madeline. Yes. Um, and Jane is much younger. Uh, she is like, you know, she was like 25 or something, and that, and Madeline's 40. And uh, th- what we know about Celeste is that she's very beautiful and very rich.
1: Yes. Uh, Jane is also a single mom, and Madeline like immediately feels a kinship to her because her husband left her right after her first daughter was born, and she had to raise her first daughter Abigail as a single mom for several years, while her ex-husband like did not even pay attention to what was going on in Abigail's life, which is a particular sticking point for her now, because Abigail has begun to prefer to spend time with her father and his new wife. And, and add, they are Nathan and Bonnie. Yes, Nathan and Bonnie. And to add an additional wrinkle to this... Nathan and Bonnie have a daughter who is exactly the same age as Madeline's daughter Chloe and they both are going to the same kindergarten class which uh, Madeline is furious about because she was here first and she can't believe that they like went so far as to move to the same school district to send their kids to the same small kindergarten class and she acts like it's fine in public but she's just so mad (laughs) And
2: mm-hmm. it's also it's also that she is like so hurt watching Nathan actually be a good father to his new daughter mm-hmm. um, when he wasn't there for her and Abigail. Like you know, a lot a lot of people are like, "Oh, like he left you fifteen years ago," but I could imagine that being very gut wrenching.
1: Yeah, especially as and she points this out a couple times, like to watch to have him act constantly like, oh, like, I don't know what I'm doing because this is the first time I'm doing this. And at one point she even says, like, this isn't your first daughter to enter kindergarten. You had another child who entered kindergarten. You just weren't there. hmm Yeah, so they go back afterwards, a little tipsy from Champagne, but mostly just, like having a good time with, you know, like when you meet a person for the first time and you immediately click with them and, like, all you want to do is talk for hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the three of them have kind of had that moment, so when they get back to the school, they're all chummy and also Celeste and uh, Jane have to prop Madeline up because her ankle is broken. So all of the other, there's a transcript with all the other PTA moms talking about how they were drunk and, and ridiculous and making a scene and...
0: Yeah, all I, I love how you see it escalate, where one of them's like, oh, and they'd had champagne because it was Madeline's birthday, and the next one's like, they were wasted, and like <laughs> Madeline couldn't even stand up, and it's just like very funny.
1: Yes. So they get to the orientation, and on their way out, as all the kids start to file out, Ziggy, Jane's son, comes out, and then a couple moments later, a little girl comes out and she's crying, and... The teacher asks why, and the girl's Amabella, and am with an M, Amabella, it's French. It's French. Uh, it's not made up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the the gr- little girl's mom is Renata, who is a, like, high, she works in the she's finance world. She's a business world. bitch. Yes. She works in the finance world, she's very kind of hoity-toity, kind of, holds herself above the other moms. She's and leaning she's s- in.
0: Yes, she's yes. leaning in. Um, <laughs> she is trying to have it all. She's a little snide about stay-at-home moms.
1: Yes. And she, first of all, when she sees Jane for the first time, because she's so young, she immediately assumes she's a nanny and tries to introduce her to her French nanny. And is embarrassed to find out that she's a mom, and mm-hmm. she has a, I think, a kid in um, the same grade as Madeline's other kid, her son Fred. So Madeline knows her, and they're like vaguely socially friendly, without mm-hmm. actually necessarily being friends. Yeah, they're very different personality types, yes, mm-hmm. to say the least. <laughs> when Amabella comes out crying the teacher asks like what happened and she's got bruises around her neck like someone strangled her and she says like a little boy choked me and the teacher says well what little boy and she won't say and also it's the first day of school so no one knows anyone's names yet um, so she has the teacher has all the boys stand up in a lineup and Amabella picks out Ziggy and they ask Ziggy like did you hurt Amabella and he says no I didn't and Renata immediately starts accosting him for lying and insisting mm-hmm. that he apologize, even yeah. though the teacher is trying to de-escalate. And and, he and won't Jane apo- is
0: and Jane is like Ziggy would never. He's like such a sweet boy.
1: And Renata gets mad that Jane won't make Ziggy apologize, and she says like I'm not going to make him apologize if he says he doesn't didn't do it. Like, and it's mostly like she even in her narration like she says it in the moment like the she normally probably would have said, like, oh, just apologize, but she had been so previously disrespected by this woman mm-hmm. that she mm-hmm. felt like she needed to hold her ground. And that, like, triggers the war in the kindergarten.
0: Yes, yeah, so everyone's either team Renata or team Madeline.
1: Because Madeline, like, she already really likes Jane, so she's already, like, pretty much on Jane's side, and even if not... Because at first, she she even kind of thinks that maybe Ziggy did do it. But, you know, it's their kids. These things happen. It's not like the end of the world, the way Renata is making it out to be. And then on the first day of school, um, several months later, Amabella hands out invitations to her birthday party on the playground, and she hands them out to every kid in her class except Ziggy. Which is very, like... That Fair. is a huge social faux pas. Yes, mm-hmm. that was a rule at my elementary school. You could not hand out invitations in school unless you had one for everyone. Mm-hmm. You could not hand out valentines or treats or anything unless you had one for the entire class.
0: Yes. And so Madeline, who is a works part-time at, a, at the community theater, gets a bunch of free tickets for Disney and Ice, which happens to be the same day as, as Amabella's birthday party. So she starts giving
1: those out. To, like, yes. anyone. She's, like, furious that she would do this in front of the kid. And, like, Ziggy doesn't give two shits, but Jane is is hurt by it, and Madeline is just furious that she would break this social rule. So she, like, she gives one to Ziggy, obviously, and she, her daughter, Chloe, and also, like, just, like, finds a whole bunch of other people who are friends with... Amabella and gives their family tickets. But not
2: Bonnie and Nathan. Did you catch that when Bonnie yeah. was like, oh, they forgot to invite Yes, I'm sure it was just an oversight.
1: <sighs> so like in between all of this, there is a bunch of back and forth with the where we start to learn things about the different families. Um, Madeline and Ed uh, has her husband, Ed, and they've got two Fred, the two kids, Chloe and Fred, and then Madeline's older daughter Abigail, who currently lives with them, who is, worships uh, Nathan's new wife, Bonnie. Mm-hmm. Just like every mm-hmm. other word out of her mouth is like, Bonnie does yoga. Bonnie's vegan. Bonnie says that if I do this, like it'll, Bonnie supports Amnesty International. Mm-hmm.
0: And- Bonnie's vegan and I'm vegan too now. Yes. Bonnie donated
2: all the baby stuff instead of selling it and buying designer shoes the way Madeline did.
1: Yeah. Um, and so that uh, Madeline and Ed have a fairly good marriage Um, they have like they've got like the greatest sense of humor so many scenes between the two of them just made me laugh so much Mm -hmm. Um, but Madeline is really struggling with the fact that she spent all of these years and it's especially stark in her mind right now watching Jane raising Ziggy alone Mm -hmm. thinking back to all the years that she and Annabelle were on their own Abigail were on their own And now Abigail is throwing all of that away to go live with Nathan and Bonnie. We've got Celeste, who's got twin boys, Max and Josh, and she is the super pretty, super rich one. And on the outside, she has a perfect marriage with her super rich businessman husband, Perry.
0: Younger. Uh, He's a younger guy, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like always buying her expensive gifts. Uh, Very attentive, very handsome.
1: But things are obviously not always as they seem, and he is also very abusive. Mm -hmm. And fairly regularly, since the boys were born, will just hit her whenever something doesn't go his way, or she slights him in his mind... But she is stuck in the holding pattern of believing that because she sometimes hits him back. She's just as complicit that, like, this is just, these are just things that happen. Like, life is so good when he's not hitting her. She doesn't want to break up the home for the boy. She's going to wait to leave him until they're in college.
0: Yeah, the first, so before we get the, like, explicit confirmation that, like, he's hitting her, we have this scene that I really liked of Celeste like, reflecting on her life and being like, oh, Perry's so good to me, and this and this and this, and, um, you know, and the boys are so happy here, so I'll I'll wait until they're done with high school before I leave Perry. And it's just this, like, very abrupt decision where, like, oh, why would she leave Perry? Like, she just went through, like, all the reasons why her life's so good. Uh, But that's why.
1: (laughs) Yes. And then we have Jane who is living on her own, um, raising Ziggy, and we find out that Ziggy was the product of... She initially tells uh, Madeline that Ziggy is the product of a one-night stand, but we, the reader, eventually discover that he is the product of a rape when she was 19, although she hesitates to use that word because she did go up to the hotel room with this man and did like an, initiate and engage in sex but it reached a point where he was being violent and she wanted him to stop and he wouldn't yeah. so it, it is it is very clear to us that it is a rape but she as a character is stuck in this self-loathing cycle where she can't look at it that way mm-hmm.
0: and we also like characters notice things about I don't think anyone even uses the word eating disorder for Jane, but they notice she's, like, weird about food and seems to be always chewing gum, but acts like she's not chewing gum. Um, things like that. And we we gradually piece that together about Jane as well.
1: Yeah, she has all of these weird habits that we eventually discover directly correlate to specific things that the man who assaulted her said to her during the assault. Yeah.
0: But in the in the meantime, like all the other moms are just jealous of how skinny Jane is, because of course, <laughs> yes.
1: Um, so school starts up, like we said, because it's a birthday party, and things are like generally going okay. And then there's this bombshell dropped that Amabella has been being bullied, and it's been going on for a while. But they didn't know, because the French nanny is the one who had seen the evidence and had heard about it and hadn't told anyone about it. And Renata immediately accuses Ziggy, even though Amabella did not accuse him this time. Mm
0: -hmm. But Amabella also won't say who it was.
1: Yes. Yes. And there's not, like, the teacher is saying, like, because of what happened at orientation, like, I have watched the two of them together because I wanted to make sure it didn't happen again, and I haven't seen any evidence of this. And the principal, like, also is like, there's no evidence of this kid, and I've seen this kid, and he's like, chill, which isn't to say that chill kids don't bully other kids, but it just doesn't seem... Like, mm-hmm. like he would be the kid who would do it. Mm-hmm. And, but Renata does not care about any of this. She, like, storms in. The principal's having a meeting with Jane about it, saying, like, you know, don't worry. You know, we're not going to do anything until we have more evidence, until we figure out what's going on. But I want to make you aware that this is happening and that you've been accused. And Renata, like, storms into the office And starts, like, shouting at Jane and accusing her and getting in her face about how her child should be expelled. Mm Mm-hmm. And Jane, meanwhile, like,
0: she she makes a, an appointment with a psychologist for Ziggy and she starts having this thought, like, well, I know Ziggy's very sweet, but, you know, his dad did this to me, so what if Ziggy has, like, some sort of genetic predisposition to violence now because of that? And she starts having that thought that she can't really express to anyone because she she's told everyone that she doesn't, like, remember who Ziggy's father is and she has, like, no idea who it could be and basically just like shuts all that down but actually like she does of course remember this traumatic event and there's like no one else that it could have been
1: and she confesses eventually one night where she's just super stressed out because she had forgotten that a big project was due for Ziggy and was trying to get him to help her do it a family tree where she has to put you know
0: no answer for Ziggy's father and he's really upset about that cuz that's wrong
1: Yeah, and he, like, had had a meltdown, and she didn't have supplies to do it, so she had texted Madeline to ask if maybe she had some cardboard that she could use, like, oak tag to put the tree on, and hadn't gotten a response, and she's like, oh, like, she, and she constantly says this when she texts any of the other women, like, oh, like, they're sick of me, like, they're annoyed that I'm so needy. And Ziggy's having a meltdown. And then Madeline shows up at her apartment and says, like, yeah, like, I did have Oak Tag and I thought I'd come over and help you. And they like she manages to calm Jane down and get Ziggy to go to sleep. And they finish the project. And while they're working on it, Jane confesses to Madeline, like, I know who Ziggy's father is. He's this man who hurt me. And I know his name, and she gives him the name... She gives her the name Saxon Banks. hmm And makes her promise that she's not going to Google her... Google the man or look into him anymore, which she, like, immediately goes home and Googles him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and she discovers through her Google that uh, he is a businessman living in a different state or province or however Australia is set up. Mm-hmm. And he's got like a Facebook page, and he's got like a beautiful wife and three daughters. And she's like just fuming over this silently because she can't tell Jane that she looked.
2: Yes. Madeline has many fine qualities, but self control does not appear to be one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh,
1: so Madeline uh, starts a book club at one point that they jokingly because it's got a sex scene in it they jokingly like say like oh it's an erotic book club and then of course like the rumor mill at the school grabs onto that and all of the moms who don't like Madeline start like turning blowing it up into like something incredibly salacious
0: yeah I mean they don't name the book but it seems like it was just sort
1: of a regular book yes like not even like a Fifty Shades level book just a book Yes. Um. And <laughs> at the book club night, after everyone, they find, she finds out that someone has started circulating a petition around the kindergarten to have Ziggy expelled. And it actually was not Renata who started it. It was Renata's like chief hanger on BFF, like the Dwight to her Michael Scott. Yeah. Ha- this her- woman, Harper. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and Harper had started this petition and, like, all the moms who show up for the book club are the Team Madeline moms who are like, it's fucking ridiculous, like, I'm not gonna sign it. Like, my kid plays with Ziggy and he's not violent and he's just a normal little boy. Like, these women have to chill out. Um, but there are other people who are like, not only signing it, but like, bringing it around to other grades. And after the book club madeline tells celeste i can't remember why there's some reason but she mentions like jane was raped and her rapist was named saxon banks and like i googled him and i wasn't supposed to so you can't tell her that i told you this
0: <laughs> well I, maybe they're just talking about jane because jane and celeste have their own separate friendship and so mm-hmm. she had told celeste some of that but i don't think she told the name to celeste
1: yes that was that, that's correct actually now that i'm That she Mm -hmm. had mentioned to Celeste that this had happened to her and that Madeline knew that she had told Celeste, but she hadn't told him the name. And Celeste recognizes the name. Yes.
0: Because Saxon Banks is Perry's cousin, who she's met and kind of liked.
1: Yes. And in the past, he seemed uh, very kind to his wife and other people and his daughters, but he and Perry their mothers are identical twins, and she worries that maybe there was something genetic, kind of like the same worry that Jane has, that, like, sure, Perry also seems very nice, but then he, like, you know, beats her up. So maybe Saxon is the same way, that, like, he seems very nice to her, but he's actually, like, this terrible rapist. Men. (laughs) Basically. Basically. Um, so in the lead up to this also Abigail has moved out of Madeline's house and has moved in with Nathan and Bonnie and Madeline is just gutted by this mm-hmm. she is like beyond upset and
0: but trying trying to act like she's not especially to Abigail just like oh yeah I, like, okay like it's your choice it's your life but not though
1: yeah, it's like she's feeling very real grief about the entire process. Um, so that's going on. And uh, I guess we'll just go down that that plot thread for a little while. Uh, <laughs> she's working on a secret project. Mm-hmm. Uh, since she's, she's moved in with uh, Bonnie and Nathan. And Madeline is very suspicious about what the secret project is. And then her suspicion is confirmed when she is calling for her work, a woman who works at the newspaper, who's like kind of a local gossip, who's like my daughter, who's in the same class as yours, has you know I heard her talking about Abigail's secret project, and it sounds bad. Just so you know, I don't know what it is, but it sounds bad. Mm-hmm.
0: And and I like I like this whole thread the way it played out because on one hand you look at it and. And Bonnie thinks that Madeline is being, like, a helicopter mom. And, like, Bonnie's, like, just, like, let the kids do whatever. And and part of you is, like, okay, like, Madeline, you're, like, really Facebook stalking your kid right now. But then you're, like,
1: uh, well...
0: <laughs> good job Madeline
1: <laughs> because we find out that what Abigail has done has started a website called www.bumy virginity to end child marriage and slavery <laughs> and is auctioning off her virginity to raise money for amnesty International yes and a, a previous thing that madeline had brought up with Bonnie is that Bonnie had said like oh like Uh, Abigail told me she wants to be a social worker and I think that would be great and Madeline's like she'd be terrible at it are you crazy like she's so sensitive whenever a terrible thing happens like she feels it personally and she can't get over the grief and like she would kill herself working to like make everything perfect in a broken system like you can't encourage this Mm -hmm. you know you have to understand what she's like and Like, that is the hole that Abigail finds herself in. Like, as Madeline... When Madeline goes to confront her about this, at first she's very level-headed about it and is like, listen, like, even from a marketing standpoint, like, this doesn't make any sense. What you are doing is not raising money or awareness. You are raising awareness for you, a 14-year-old girl, auctioning your virginity off on the internet. Like, you're not meeting your goal. But Abigail is truly upset about the fact that there are young children who are being sold into sex slavery. Like I mean, emotionally. as she should be. Yes. Like. Just devastated about it. And, you know, Madeline, I, I over-related to Madeline a lot in this book. But one of the things she talks about is how, like, yes, terrible things happen in the world, but, like sometimes you have to learn to compartmentalize and, like, send some money to charity, but then also, like, live your life because otherwise you're just constantly in a grief spiral and it's that's not helpful to anyone. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. Abigail is 14 and she has not, she doesn't know, she's not old enough to have, like, absorbed that lesson yet, so she's just distraught about the fact that there are child slaves in the world and sex children being sold into sex slavery
0: yes um and so madeline is like yeah that's bad but also you need to take this website down and uh abigail won't do it so madeline is fretting about all the ways that they could potentially do that and meanwhile abigail gets this email saying hey uh i'm i'm an 83 year old man and i don't I don't want your virginity, but, like, this is a good cause, and if I donate $100,000 to Amnesty International, will you please take this website down? Because you know, I, it's upsetting. And Abigail's, like, very proud of this, and she's like, yeah, that seems like a good bid, so I'll do that. And Madeline immediately is like, oh, I think this was Celeste. Because it's already established. Oh,
2: I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt Oh, yeah. You. I was just gonna say, it's already established that Celeste sort of assuages her own guilt about things by giving a lot of money to charity like the the way other people shop yeah online yes
0: so
1: yeah and it's it's like rubbed into our brain several times over that perry is the kind of rich that like she one day she spends like $20,000 on charities because she's so racked with guilt when she gets home from some school thing that she that he doesn't even notice until, like weeks later. Yeah. So, gosh, what else is going on, at this point? Uh, Celeste has rented an apartment. She's went to a after a particularly bad fight. Um, she went to a counseling center for domestic violence and yes. had been meeting with a therapist or a counselor of some sort named Susie who very dispassionately, but in a a good way, a good kind of dispassionate is basically like, you can give me all the excuses that you want. Like you're not the only woman who comes in here with excuses, but the reality of the matter is that like, you don't have to live this way and this is not going to get better. And eventually he's going to kill you. Uh, So she has rented an apartment on the other side of town secretly With the idea that, okay, like, at first she's like, oh, this will just be so Susie will know that I am taking this seriously and I'll get an A on my therapy homework. Yes. But as she, like, starts to furnish and decorate the apartment, the idea of leaving Perry becomes closer to reality to her. And after one particularly brutal beating, she's like, all right, he's going on a trip next week. And while he's gone, I'm taking the boys and I'm moving into the apartment.
0: Yes, I think those are I think those are all the pieces that needed to be in play before we get to Trivia Night. Like there, there are a lot of small things that happen, but I think we can probably skip forward to Trivia Night, which is a yes. fundraiser for the school, so they can buy smart boards. And oh, Dwarde. Mm. <laughs> Day, come to say hello by walking on the keyboard. That's nice not helpful. Dwarde. Day.
1: The theme of the trivia night is Aubrey and Elvis with the assumption that the women will dress as Aubrey Hepburn and the men will dress as Elvis Presley, and I don't know that I know that can, can figure out the connection there.
2: I, yeah, I guess just like 50s. I googled this, and apparently, so they were never in a movie together, Audrey Hepburn and Elvis Presley, and they may have never even met. Huh. So, it's just costumes.
0: Yeah, uh, it's a good I guess there's not like a good you know, it's it's not like Sunny and Cher or something. There's no immediate female equivalent for Elvis. Mm-hmm. I don't know.
1: But so we get into these transcripts about what's been go- what goes on at the trivia night, and we immediately learn that they were serving a fruity pink cocktail, but the teachers who were creating the cocktail got the. Uh, proportions wrong and it was like three times as alcoholic as it was supposed to be Mm -hmm. so everyone's wasted yes and the catering uh, for the event is stuck in traffic so there's no food so people just keep drinking these incredibly alcoholic drinks on empty stomachs
0: (laughs) yeah and we see you know like moms who have granola bars in their purses like that's suddenly like a very valuable commodity all of that you know the one thing we forgot to mention This isn't huge but it is just nice Is like they all go to the, the coffee shop uh, Blue Blues You're right not Beach Blues. Um And the barista there is named Tom And um He's gay but like all the moms Are like very charmed by him And Jane is always going there And he's just like so nice to her And always giving her like free muffins That she can't really eat because of her eating disorder But like whatever um, And she, like he's just like so nice to her and then, um, yeah,
1: that, I think that's
0: all that we know at this point. But that's Well, no, how at this point,
1: we have, we've learned that uh, Jane gets a new haircut, and she goes over to yes. get coffee yes. and gets caught in the rain, and the cafe has been closed because there's been no customers. So Tom, but Tom lets her in anyway and gives her clean clothes, and she finds out that he likes to do jigsaw puzzles, which her and her family are obsessed with jigsaw puzzles, And then she finds out when she makes a joke, like, oh, like, thanks for noticing my haircut. I was just thinking on the way over that, like, a gay man would probably notice that I got my haircut, like, not to stereotype. And he's like, uh, I'm not gay. Oh, right. Yeah, it's right before Mm -hmm. the trivia night. Yes yeah and we discovered that there when she thought that Tom was gay because Madeline said something about like poor gay Tom who broke up with his boyfriend and is struggling to get over it but she meant a different Tom mm-hmm.
0: Tom who does smash up repair which is a hilarious Australian thing that I loved <laughs> like, apparently it's not you know like auto repair it's smash up repair <laughs> uh, anyway so-, so Tom comes to the trivia night also yes
1: And everyone is kind of having like mini confrontations with everyone else and our main players slowly. Oh, and also, God, this is very important and I forgot that we learned this as well. Jane finally realizes she has the appointment with Ziggy with the psychologist, and the psychologist says, you know, I don't think he's a bully at all. In fact, I think he's being bullied. Mm, Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And she takes him out um, to Blue Blues before dropping him off at school after the appointment, and says, like, someone is hurting Amabella. or He says that Amabella is one of his friends, and she asks, like, oh, like, you've never mentioned her. And he's like, yeah, well, it's because no one will let me talk to her or play with her anymore. But, like, we were friends. She likes Star Wars, too. She reads all the Star Wars books and knows all the Star Wars facts. But they won't let me near her. And she goes, well, you know, that's because they think that you're hurting her. Do you know who's actually hurting her? And he says he won't say, but he will write it down for her. And it turns out it's one of Celeste's twins Max. Mm-hmm. So at trivia night, Celeste has also just found out that she's just found out that Ma- Josh, her other twin, has confided in her that Max has been hurting girls at school. And she is horrified because she realizes that he has seen that behavior from Perry and is now copying it and that she needs to leave. Mm-hmm.
2: He also pushed uh, Bonnie and Nathan's daughter, Sky, like down a flight of stairs.
1: Yes. Yeah. And Perry has found out about Celeste's secret apartment. So they go to trivia night anyway. Mm -hmm. And at trivia night, Celeste and Jane go out onto the balcony to get away from the noise. And Jane says to Celeste, like, hey, you know, or Celeste says to Jane, like, just so you know, I found out that it's Max who's been hurting little girls and it's not... Ziggy and I'm so sorry and I'm gonna go to the school and have it all cleared up and Jane is like oh yeah like this morning actually Ziggy told me that and I've been waiting for a chance to tell you and then Renata comes out to join them and Ed and Madeline come out to join them and Bonnie and Nathan and Perry and they're all sitting in a semicircle on this wet balcony with Perry kind of leaning against the railing and facing them and Nathan goes to thank Celeste because uh, Madeline had explained to him that that is what the $100,000 was from Celeste secretly as this man from North Dakota. So he goes to thank Celeste for the donation, but Madeline realizes, based on the expression on Celeste's face, that Perry doesn't know about it. Mm -hmm. So she keeps trying to derail the conversation... But Nathan is just, like, cluelessly like, No, Celeste, thank you for giving our daughter $100,000 for Amnesty International. Yeah. Fucking Nathan. (laughs) (laughs) So Perry finds out, and also Celeste tells Renata that it wasn't Ziggy hurting Amabella, it was Max... And Renata, like, apologizes to Jane, and, like, all of these things that have been secret come to light.
0: And also, this is the first time Jane has met Perry, or, like, seen Perry IRL. And she realizes Perry actually was Saxon Banks, and, like, Perry actually is the father of Ziggy, and uh, Celeste remembers that sometimes... Like, as a kid, for, like, pranks, Perry would pretend to be Saxon or, like, use Saxon's name. And so he apparently does this also, like, goes out and, like, has, uh, like, sexually assaults women and uses his cousin's name. So that's super cool. Yeah. Perry's just a real winner
2: all around. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so...
0: So all of this is coming to light out on this balcony. <laughs> Yes, on this drunk, hangry balcony,
1: (laughs) Perry hits Celeste in front of everyone else, Mm -hmm. which he's never done. Yes, Mm -hmm. and Bonnie loses her goddamn mind Mm -hmm. and starts like shouting at him, like you know, this is what happens when you do this in front of kids. Like you think they don't see, but we see, we see. And she goes to shove him and because he's like on this unsteady bar stool on a wet balcony he hits the railing and topples over the side of it and falls to the ground and dies mhm
0: and and some of the transcripts that we get are like well the we measured the balcony and it wasn't like up to regulation height and we're getting like all of this detail about the balcony and the conditions
1: and he's
2: really tall and it was just like the physics of it
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, um some other gossip that Madeline had learned earlier in the day was that Renata's husband was having an affair with the nanny. Yes. And in the the inside of the party, that has also just come to light and that was actually why Renata came out onto the balcony to join them was because she wanted to get away from that discussion and it turns out that some other fathers had also been having an affair with her. And a fight has broken out. With the nanny. And a fight has broken out from all of these drunk, hangry... Elvises. Yes. Yes. uh, Socialite, PTA parents. So that also, like, as that fight comes out onto the balcony, like, it rolls right into their little group and it's just, like, chaos. And Renata immediately says, like, she's calling the police for Perry and then says, like, you know, I didn't actually see what happened. Yeah.
0: And everyone else is like, oh, yeah, me neither. Like, Nathan is like, wait, what? No, I... (laughs) But Madeline's like, shut up, Nathan.
1: (laughs) So they all decide that they're going to lie for Bonnie to protect her. Ed, Madeline's husband, is really uncomfortable with this. Yeah. Yeah. But Bonnie ends up saying, like, no, you know what? Like, I'm going to tell them the truth. Yeah. And so she only gets, like, 200 hours community service because it's found that, like, she didn't intend to kill him. And, mm, and
0: you know, the it- balcony was too short. Yes. Yeah. And it was
1: raining and.
0: And and luckily, Bonnie loves community service. So. <laughs> right.
1: Exactly.
2: Yes. I think killing, killing Perry should count towards her hours, personally. But-
0: Honestly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> And Abigail has decided to move back in with Madeline. hmm And Jane goes out on a real date with Tom and they kiss. Yes. And
0: Celeste... And s- sets up... Well, she sets up, uh, like, an account for um, Ziggy, because she's like, well, he's Perry's son, too, and so he should get some of this money.
1: And she goes back to practicing law, which is what she used to do before Perry told her she had to stay home and be a full-time mom. Yes. And uh, Renata and her family are moving to London.
0: Uh, Without her husband. Without Without her her husband, husband. without the nanny. Yeah, Renata and her kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's just like a very satisfying conclusion for everyone. And also
2: Celeste is public speaking about her experience. Oh, yes.
0: Yes, about how, like, domestic violence doesn't have to be, you know, like, trashy-looking. Like, Mm -hmm. posh people can have domestic violence, too. And beautiful women,
2: and, yeah. And men. She, like, specifically notes a man in the audience, and she wants to, like, make sure he knows he's not alone.
0: Well, because also, uh, she's paired with a man who is Mm -hmm. speaking, yes, Mm -hmm. about it. Um, yeah, I just, like, it's so funny, like... I think we did have a little bit of criticism, or like between us, where it seems a little bit like she maybe Leanne Moriarty has bit off a little bit more than she actually can chew with like so many themes of like domestic violence and like Me Too and the sort of complicated like well we we should believe Amabella and she says Ziggy was hitting her but like he wasn't but. I mean, overall, there's just so many pieces that m- come together overall, like,
1: really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think also it's just prob- problematic on a level to equate, like, a, a child in that situation. Like, yeah. In, because, like, kids are more likely to lie, I think.
2: And Especially their brains because we-
1: are- Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, we find out that Max told her that if she told anyone, he would kill her and her family dead, quote. Yes. And their brains aren't fully
2: formed yet, so they you don't know really that. know.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, and especially with an authority figure saying, like, no, tell me who did it and wanting to please them, you know, picking another boy at random probably seems like the best solution. Mm-hmm, mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. What really, what is hard for me to believe, and what is kind of looked at as, like, the crux of the issue, is that nobody asks Ziggy who is, if he knows who is hurting Amabella until the very end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because he does know, and, like, he, he clearly is willing to part with that information on his own terms but like it just never occurs to anyone to ask him and i feel like it probably would have at some point but whatever Mm -hmm. yeah
0: i mean we're so in and out of like like you don't have time to dwell on anyone's specific problem i feel like because we're so in and out of all the problems that everyone has Mm uh okay well shall we move on to our dramatic readings Sure. sure all right Uh, I'm going to start us off with just a little flavor of these kind of transcripts, which by the way, eventually we learn are from a journalist who's trying to write a book about uh, this whole event. But this is from near the beginning of the book, after the kindergarten orientation. Gabrielle, the school ended up split in two. It was like, I don't know, a civil war. You were either on Team Madeline or Team Renata. Bonnie No, no, that's awful That never happened There were no sides We're a very close-knit community There was too much alcohol Also, it was a full moon Everyone goes a little crazy when it's a full moon I'm serious It's an actual verifiable phenomenon Samantha Was it a full moon? It was pouring rain, I know that My hair was all boofy Mrs. Lipman That's ridiculous and highly defamatory. I have no further comment. Carol. I know I keep harping on about the erotic book club, but I'm sure something happened at one of their little quote-unquote meetings. Harper. Listen, I cried when we learned Emily was gifted. I thought, here we go again. I'd been through it all before with Sophia, so I knew what I was in for. Renata was in the same boat two gifted children. Nobody understands the stress. Renata was worried about how Amabella would settle in at school, whether she'd get enough stimulation, and so on. So when that child with the ridiculous name, that Ziggy, did what he did, and it was only the orientation morning, well, she was understandably very distressed. That's what started it all.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's very, I forgot about the whole gifted thing. (laughs) the gifted the you know all the gifted parents are like it's just so stressful for us because our kids are gifted (laughs) Uh, yep
0: so uh kate's up next with a little little dose of celeste
1: all right um so this is from when celeste has first uh rented her new apartment with the idea that maybe one day she'll leave Perry, but not for a while but now at least she's prepared There was a mirrored feature wall right next to the door that looked like it was left over from an ambitious decorating project in the 70s. The rest of the place was completely neutral. Blank white walls, hard wearing gray carpet, your quintessential rental property. Perry owned rental properties that were probably just like this. Theoretically, Celeste owned them too, but she didn't even know where they were. If they've saved for an investment property together, just one, then she would have enjoyed that. She would have helped renovate it, picked out tiles, dealt with the real estate agent, said, Oh, yes, of course, when the tenant asked for something to be fixed. That was the level of wealth where she would have felt comfortable. The unimaginable depths of Perry's money sometimes made her feel nauseated. She saw it on the faces of people when they saw her house for the first time. The way their eyes traveled across the wide expanses, the soaring ceilings, the beautiful rooms set up like little museum displays of wealthy family life. Each time she battled equal parts pride and shame. She lived in a house where every single room silently screamed, we have a lot of money, probably more than you. Those beautiful rooms were just like Perry's constant Facebook posts stylized representations of their life yes they did sometimes sit on that gloriously comfortable looking couch and put glasses of champagne on that coffee table and watch the sunset over the ocean yes they did and sometimes often it was glorious but that was also the couch where perry had once held her face squashed into the corner and she would thought she might die And that Facebook photo captioned fun day out with the kids wasn't a lie because it was a fun day out with the kids. And anyway, they didn't have a photo of what happened after the kids were put in bed that night. Celeste's nose bled too easily. It always had. She carried the lamp into the main bedroom of the apartment. It was quite a small room. She'd get a double bed. She and Perry had a king size bed, of course, but this room would be crammed even with a queen. She placed the lamp on the floor. It was a colorful, mushroom-shaped art deco lamp. She'd bought it because she loved it, and because it was a style that Perry would hate. Not that he would have stopped her from having it if she really wanted it, but he would have winced every time he looked at it, the way she would have winced at some of the gloomy-looking modern art pieces he pointed out in galleries, so he didn't buy them. Marriage was about compromise. Honey, if you really like that girly antique look, I'll get you the real thing, he would have said tenderly. This is just a cheap, tacky ripoff. When he said things like that, she heard, you're cheap and tacky. She would take her time setting up this place with cheap, tacky things that she liked. She went to open one of the blinds to let in some light. She ran her fingertip across the dusty window sill. The place was pretty clean, but next time she'd bring some cleaning stuff and get it spick and span. Up till now, she had never been able to leave Perry because she couldn't imagine where she would go, how they would live. It was a mindset. It seemed impossible. This way, she would have an entire life set up awaiting activation. She would have had beds made up for the boys. She would have the fridge stocked. She would have toys and clothes in the cupboard. She wouldn't even need to pack a bag. She would have an enrollment form filled out for the local school. She would be ready.
2: Yeah, Uh, go Celeste. So this is the part where Madeline finds out about Abigail's secret project. So Renata is going to be the voice of Nathan, and I, Melissa, am going to be Madeline and the narrator.
0: Nathan, Madeline stamped her foot in frustration. Fine. Fine. Abigail is auctioning off her virginity to the highest bidder as a way of raising awareness for child marriage and sex slavery. She says, um, if the world stands by while a seven-year-old is sold for sex, then the world shouldn't blink an eye if a privileged white 14-year-old girl sells herself for sex. All the money raised will go to Amnesty International. She can't spell privileged.
2: Madeline sank back down in her chair. Oh, calamity. Give me the address, said Madeline. Is the site live? Are you telling me the site is actually live right now?
0: Yes, I think it went up yesterday morning. Don't look at it. Please don't look at it. The problem is that she hasn't set it up so she can moderate comments, and naturally the internet trolls are in a feeding frenzy. Give me the address
2: right now. No. Nathan, you give me the address right now. She stomped her foot again, almost in tears of frustration.
0: (sighs) It's com. Fabulous, said Ma- Madeline as she
2: typed the address with shaky hands. That's going to attract a wonderful class of charitable person. Our daughter is an idiot. We raised an idiot. Oh wait, you didn't raise her. I raised her. I've raised an idiot. She paused. Oh God. You're looking at it? Yes, said Madeline. It was a professional-looking website, which made it worse for some reason, more real, more official, as if the, r- the right for some stranger to purchase Abigail's virginity had been officially endorsed. The homepage featured the photo of Abigail doing her yoga pose that Madeline had seen on her Facebook page. Viewed in the context of By My Virginity, the photo took on a sinister sexuality, the hair fall- falling over her shoulder, the long, skinny limbs, the small, perfect breasts, Men were looking at her daughter's photo on their computer screens and thinking about having sex with her. I think I'm going to be sick, said Madeline. Rightly so. <laughs> Can't blame her. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So yeah, that, that is, this book is very enjoyable. I Well, you know what I was thinking about is I think it works because a lot of things are very funny, but she takes all the sexual assault stuff very seriously. Yes. Yes.
1: And also, we didn't mention this because I mean, it's not actually relevant to the plot, but. Us. Uh, Madeline's whole family says oh calamity all the time because it's something that a character in a children's book that her kids were obsessed with say uh, said so her family has started saying it and it like leeches into the other characters as time goes on and I don't know what about it is just so charming to me but I laugh every time.
2: I just think it's such a real thing that happens yes. yeah And just and oak oh calamity is just so funny and like wholesome. Yes.
0: Yes. Uh, Yeah, especially (laughs) in the concept like Mm -hmm. or in the context of like buy my virginity to end (laughs) child sex slavery (laughs) dot com.
1: Just I I (laughs) I really appreciate Madeline. I Madeline, I think in a certain way, is, like, an unsettling look into the future for myself. (laughs) (laughs) There is a lot about Madeline that I find highly um, (laughs) hashtag-relatable, personality-wise, and just in, like, some of the impulsive actions that she takes, and then later regrets, and I just really adored her.
0: (laughs) Well, you know what, Kate, that leads us right into our first would-you-rather question, which is, would you rather be team Madeline or team Renata? Uh
1: so obviously coming off of that uh definitely team Madeline. I well I can, you know, sympathize to a certain level with Renata's like fierce desire to protect her child. I feel like at some point she should have stopped and there were better ways to do it than immediately asking for a five-year-old boy to be suspended without any proof. She didn't do that. Harper did that. <laughs> I mean, she, on, she on team Renata. I, I mean, but also Harper started the Harper started the survey, but Renata did go into the principal's office and demand that Ziggy be suspended.
0: Well,
2: <laughs> that was after things had escalated a little though. Yeah. Wasn't it? It wasn't right away. Yeah. I get... Uh, I, oh, go ahead.
0: Uh, well, I was just gonna say, obviously, I'm team Renata. Uh, just just Renata and Renata Solidarity. I mean, the book is, is much more from Madeline's point of view. Like, in as much as the book does have bits of everyone's point of view, but it's much more aligned with Madeline. Um, but I force myself to dig through and just see the shining heart of Renata Klein, who just is a businesswoman, just trying to do the best for her gifted daughter, Amabella, and, you know, I don't blame her for not trusting Ziggy. Like, he's five years old, but he's a a man. Don't trust him. (laughs) Team Um, Renata.
2: I also am Team Renata, even though I adore Madeline, just (laughs) because my impulse is to believe a child when um, she says somebody hurt her and also I think Renata gets a redeeming moment in that she's the first one to cover up the murder she's just like I didn't see
0: anything yes absolutely Mm mm-hmm I mean, I do, I do also love Madeline. She's very fun, but
1: uh, It's interesting on. that you said that you feel like the book is from Madeline's perspective largely, because I actually felt like it was largely from Jane's perspective.
0: I, I mean, yeah, I think Celeste, Madeline, and Jane are a big three for sure. I, I mostly meant between these two. It's certainly more from
1: Madeline oh, than, yeah, than yeah, from Renata's. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, you don't get into Renata's head the way you do Madeline's.
1: Yeah, but I I mean, like, I don't want this... To make people... I just... I felt very badly for Ziggy and Jane throughout the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And the way that they were kind of constantly being defamed by everyone at the school um, and made the crux of this issue that they just had no part of and didn't want any part of, largely through the machinations of more powerful people at the school... But also, as I said, I do just love Madeline, um, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I just, like, even her relationship with Ed is just so fun. She just seems like a person who is just, like, fucking whatever. Mm -hmm, Which I mm -hmm. can appreciate.
0: No, totally, and, like, Jane's very sympathetic, but, I mean, it, let's just move on. Obviously, I'm team (laughs) Renata, because I am Renata. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, how about, would you rather attend Erotic Book Club or Elvis and Audrey Trivia Night?
1: I think that I would rather attend Erotic Book Club because there was still champagne and Mm -hmm. snacks and it seemed to be only like-minded people as opposed to, like, I feel like there's less of a chance of, like, being caught as collateral damage in a fist fight between... Two people arguing over a thing that you don't know or care about that's fair
0: i'm gonna go trivia night because i love a good trivia night and i feel like i'm already overwhelmed with the amount of books that i that i have to read and so but but of course like the erotic book club did seem like a good time they both sound
2: really good um i also like a good trivia night so i think that would be my choice
0: All right, Uh, last up, would you rather eat at Blue Blues with Tom or at Steaks and Cakes, which is, of course, the fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle in the movie that only serves steaks and cakes?
1: Uh, Obviously, I would prefer to eat at Steaks and Cakes. You know, it's just as much as I appreciated Tom's role in the book. And his food seemed to be very good. Like, you really just can't beat a full steak and a whole cake. And it, it's just, it's hard to compete. And, like, good good on Tom for having his, you know, great local cafe. But, you know, if I'm going to sit down for a meal, it's going to be at steaks and cakes. I would pick Beach Blues
2: because Tom is experimenting a lot with his baking
1: mm-hmm. and
2: flavors of muffins. And also he will throw out a harassing patron as needed.
0: Yeah, that is good service mm-hmm. yeah, and, and I think the location here is also This, Blue Blues is certainly one of the more tempting um, Counterpoints to Steaks and Cakes that we've had in a while Where I'm like, oh, maybe I mean, like that beachfront location I've always wanted to go to Australia mm-hmm. But uh, in the end, I just have to stick with our sponsor Steaks and Cakes But I, I do support the local business of Blues Blues in my heart all right. Uh well played everyone. Uh let's move on to readers advisory and suggest some books uh to read instead of or in addition to Big Little Lies, which I mean, I guess we did just like spoil all of the. This. this is like one of the cases where I'm like, oh, maybe you shouldn't listen to this podcast episode. Maybe just read the I book.
2: There's it's already a, a show
0: late. too. Yeah, that's true. Just watch the show maybe. Yeah.
2: Is the show good? It's really good, actually. There are some differences. I I rewatched it this week in anticipation of this. And like Madeline has an... Oh, I don't want (laughs) to... I don't know if I want to spoil the show, but there are some differences. And in some ways, I preferred the book. Okay. So.
0: That's good to know. Mm -hmm. I mean, the cast seems really good. The cast is great.
2: And the... Oh, the music is great. And there's a Spotify playlist that I can um, share the link of that I think that the actress who played Chloe's Dad made of okay. all the music on there, and the music is really, really good.
0: Nice. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I mean, in in suggesting books to read, like I know Leanne Moriarty has some other books I haven't read them. Um, someone was telling me that The Husband's Secret is like very fat-shamey, which is disappointing. But
1: mm. yeah, especially because um, we didn't actually get into this a lot. I mean, granted, like most of the people in the book seem to be presented as fairly skinny, but Madeline makes a point a couple times of specifically, like, noting when people have unhealthy relationships with their weight. Like, at one point, Jane's mother is like, oh, like, nobody wants to see me in a bikini. And she's like, well, that is certainly, like, a dangerous way to think, and... Mm -hmm she later like applies it to Jane when Jane's like oh I-, I used to be a little chubby and she's like but like you know i knew that and i i I can't even remember exactly what leads into it, but she essentially is like, "Oh, like I understand why Jane is a pro- one of the reasons Jane has a problem with food. It's because her mother has this unhealthy attitude towards it." I think it was Although that at- comment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: though at the same time, uh, Madeline and Celeste are both like, "Oh, it's so dangerous!" Like they call mm-hmm. Jane's muffins dangerous, and they are always like sort of fixating on eating too many muffins, more in the, in the sort of like lightly basic toxic way that like women talk about food in general. Yeah, there's there's one mom who every single time they
2: interview her, she mentions her weight and eating. Gabrielle.
0: Yes.
1: hmm
0: Anyway, so Leanne Moriarty's books. Probably good question mark.
1: <laughs> um, the first thing that popped into my mind as a reader's advisory was Um One of Us Is Lying by mm, yes. Karen McManus. Um, which is a YA book. That is a similar sort of setup where the book starts and there is someone who is dead and there are several people who were there and it then breaks into different point of views to backtrack into who killed him and why.
0: Yeah, that one was very good. Um, she just had a sequel, or not a sequel, like a related book come out as well. And it's called Two Can Keep a Secret.
1: Yeah. I was supposed to go to that event at Porter Square and then I think I was sick or something.
0: Well... The book came out, nevertheless.
1: Yes, my illness did not stop it. Um, some
0: good like adult like if you're looking for like an adult page-turner kind of thing, um, a couple I'll throw out would be like Gone Girl by jillian Flynn, a you know a gimme, um, Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng, uh. I think like pr- pretty much any Jody Pico book is going to give you this kind of like twisty, twisty affair. Maybe not that wolf one we read for the podcast, but like some of her other ones are pretty good.
1: <laughs> um, also, uh, we were liars by mm. um, E Lockhart. Yes, a lot and of YA f-
0: books are doing good things with like twists and turns. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And what was the Oh A Line in the Dark by Melinda Lowe. That was mm-hmm. another one that I read semi-recently and also has like queer people in it. Hooray. Wow.
0: All right. How about
2: you, oh. Melissa? What are you recommending? Um, so I don't know if you guys heard this, but um, when I listened to the audiobook at the end, they actually recommended Little Children by Tom Perotta, which is oh. um have they, either of you read it?
0: I saw yeah. the movie.
2: Yeah, so it's like about Young parents and um, their life is disrupted when a child molester basically moves into the neighborhood and what did they do about it?
0: Yeah. And,
2: um, so, and Tom Perotta is also the author of Election, so that kind of vibe. And Small Admissions by Amy Popol, which I really enjoyed, and it's about a young woman who gets jilted by her fiancé and comes back to New York um, from Paris and is super depressed, and she sort of falls into this job at a very exclusive middle school in Manhattan. And it's all about her dealing with all the families that are desperate to get into this school. And it has a sort of similar vibe and like that the parents are all like weird and funny and intense in their own ways and how that all sort of builds to a head. Hmm. Um, and then I also wanted to mention the the Heather Wells mystery series by Meg Cabot. which, oh, yes. Yeah, because those are really funny... Uh, but there is also like an intimate partner violence subplot that is handled, um, you know, very seriously. And then I also just wanted to mention "Goodbye Earl" by the Dixie Chicks, which is a song about two friends who kill one's abusive husband, and nobody cares because he sucks so much.
0: So yes, yeah. iconic, mm-hmm. truly. Uh, all right so we'll have all of these and a few others that we didn't get a chance to mention out loud um, up on our website which is worstbestsellers.com and now we'll move on to our candy pairing where we'll suggest some candy to go along with this book
1: Uh, So my candy pairing for this one would be uh, Tim Tams, Mm. which is another Australian import that at first bite, I didn't particularly care for it. Too much chocolate for me, a person who's not like super into chocolate. Uh, But by the end, by the time I finished, I was like, no, this is good. I would like another.
0: I love a Tim Tam. (laughs) Uh, Mine is is champagne-flavored Jelly Bellies because, you know, in in tribute to the Trivia Night cocktails and also just because they are delicious.
2: Uh, Mine is Calissons, which are a candy popular in Aix-en-Provence, the south of France, and I picked that because they're French and I didn't make them up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Team Renata. (laughs) Mm Alright, delicious. Uh, Let's move on to the Rock Paper Snicked, where of course uh, Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book, and Melissa can choose which most enhances the book, or she can choose paper, which is to leave it
1: as is. Well, if Dwayne the Rock Johnson was in this book, he would make some brief appearances in Blue Blues to pick up, like, coffee and snacks and also, like, harmlessly flirt with all the school moms... But in the background, he would be in the middle of some sort of, like, spy movie action flick kind of goings-on. And we would get, like, very brief glimpses of that uh, in a similar manner to, like, the Buffy episode, The Zeppo, or, you know, other media where there is clearly a... a that's following the, the C-plot characters when there's an A-plot going on somewhere else. And aside from that, the book would not otherwise change.
0: If Wolverine were in this book, he would be the new boyfriend of Tom O'Brien, the smash-up repair guy. The book would be otherwise unchanged.
1: Oh, he'd be a good boyfriend for Tom. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, there's a lot going on in this book
2: already, but I really like the idea of The Rock like being around in the background, and The Zeppo is one of my favorite Buffy episodes, so I think I'm going to go with The Rock.
0: Yes.
1: Legit. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Well, good game. Um, what do we think the moral of the story is?
1: Uh, I'm going to steal my moral from another podcast with a twist. And uh, my moral of the story would be stay sexy and do a murder if called for. Yeah. Uh, my moral is just uh,
0: believe women.
2: Uh, mine is a Sondheim reference, which is yes. careful of the things you say because children will listen. Careful of the things you do, children will see and learn.
0: Yes, perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alright, now it's time for Duarte's corner. Although Duarte's real worked up and he's been rudely chiming in out of turn. But now it's your time, Duarte. What do you have to say about this? <coughs> yeah, I mean Dorothy, there just there already were so many perspectives in this. I I think if they had added a cat character, I think it just would have maybe been too much and we wouldn't really have been able to pay attention to the cat the way the way the cat would deserve.
1: It's true, and you know, I heard that there actually I heard there was a lot of controversy about this, that they are doing a second season of the TV show. So I mean it's always possible that there is a role for a cat in the future. And in that case, like, it's good to kind of get through this, like, intense plot and action so that you could have more cat-centered stuff later on down the line, with, mm-hmm. while all of these strings have already been neatly tied up.
2: If they're adding Meryl Streep, they can add Duarte, so.
0: <laughs>
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> you know, I think a, a great new cause for Abigail could be just, you know, like, volunteering at an animal shelter. Yeah. And that would be good. Although it is, well I, it is Australian, so name might also be like a koala. Um, Ooh, I't been into that. No, sorry, Duarte, you're right. You're right. Just, just cats. Um, <laughs> okay, well, thank you for that Duarte. Do any humans have any closing thoughts?
1: Just that like I feel like I talked a lot this episode, so like I'm interested to hear more of your thoughts if you have them.
0: Do you mean me, or were
1: you talking to, like, the listeners? Yeah, I didn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you, both, you, plural, you, oh. you guys.
2: I just also um, want to mention, we didn't get into this, but Jane's mom believes that Ziggy is her reincarnated father throughout the book as well, and I really enjoyed that plotline. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I just, I mean, I've, I've said it throughout. I thought this book was just a, a tasty treat. I think, um, I think it lives up to the hype good job to it good job leanne moriarty yeah uh all right uh if you'd like to talk to us some more about these big little lies you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash worst bestsellers we're on twitter at worst bestseller with no s because the s fell off the balcony and no one saw who did it i i don't know it's just god um you also can join our Goodreads group, which is best access, by going to our website, worstbestsellers.com, and clicking
1: on the Goodreads link. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere else that you can find podcasts. Just plug, you know, whatever in. It's fine. Uh, If you do subscribe to us somewhere, we would appreciate it if you would rate and review the show. When you rate and review it, it pushes us up a little bit on the charts and makes it easier for new listeners to find us. Uh, If you don't rate and review us, we're definitely going to start a petition to uh, have you removed as a listener, and you don't want that. (laughs) Uh, we also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash bestsellers where you can pledge a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to help keep the show running, uh, to pay our editor, to buy designs for uh, merch, and in return, you get perks uh, like postcards and uh, access to a subscribers-only newsletter and all sorts of things like that. And speaking of merch, we do have it, and you can get to it by going to our website, worstbestsellers.com, and clicking on Merch, where you can buy all sorts of designs from our podcast to wear on your body.
0: Finally, uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter at Renata Snacks, and that's also uh, where you can find pictures of Duarte sometimes.
1: Uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter and basically all social media at 14across.
2: And you can find me, Melissa, at Fat Girl in Ohio on Twitter.
0: And tell us about your podcast.
2: Oh, and so Truer Words is a podcast about the work of making art, and I do it with fellow worst bestsellers guest, Katherine Benson. And so you can find us on Apple Podcasts. And I think Catherine did just get us approved for other platforms, but I don't have the details on that yet. Um, our website just is... Just try it. Just
0: try searching everywhere and see what's Yeah. Up.
2: Yeah, exactly. But um, Apple Podcasts for sure, and our website for sure, which is truerwordspodcast.com. Our Twitter
0: is TruerWordsPod, and our Instagram is TruerWordsPodcast. Yeah, it's, it's very enjoyable if you like hearing about uh, good authors of good books. Uh, <laughs> very good. I guess that's it. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks uh, with The Five People You Meet in Heaven by Mitch Albom. So, so pray for us. <laughs> and uh, Melissa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Bye.